Uh, if you have your Bibles tonight, guys, why don't you open up um, to the New Testament, to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, um, we're going to look at a number of verses, and now we're actually going to be reading verses 14 through 41 here in just a few moments as we get into this. Um, over the last couple of weeks, we've been going through this series that I've entitled Intercede, Invest, and Invite. And in week one, we talked about the, the need that we have um, to, to intercede on the life of people that don't know Christ. Uh, in week one, we talked about this reality that Satan has blinded um, the, the people that are lost uh, that to, to the point that they don't even realize they need a Savior. They, they're, they're completely blinded to the truth. To them, um, the message of the cross is foolishness. And really, the only thing standing between them and hell is us. And this need that we have to intercede on their behalf, to come before the Holy God in prayer, to, to, just, to just lift their names up, that, that God would open up their eyes, that He would remove those, those blinders that they have on, that, that, he would, that He would remove the power of Satan in their life that they can see, that He would soften their heart so they can receive the gospel. That's what interceding in prayer is all about. It's needed desperately in this mission we have of the gospel. Last week we talked about the, the need also that, uh, that we have to invest in their lives. It, it, it's true that you can meet somebody on the street, share the gospel, and they get saved. That happens all the time. And I, I will tell you, and I believe this wholeheartedly, that the far more effective way is as we get to know people, as we invest our life into theirs, as we hear their story, as we figure out and, and see where they're at in their journey in life. And what that does, it gives us an opportunity to speak to them directly. There's one message of the gospel, we can't change that, but there's a lot of different avenues by which we can give it. And as we invest in people's life and get to know them, it's amazing that the power that there is in that as we um, can, can speak the gospel directly to their situation that they're dealing with. And today we're going to be really moving from there to this idea of inviting people to begin a relationship with the Lord. See, just interceding in prayer, just investing is good, but it's not enough. If we stop there, we've stopped far, far, far short of, of reaching them because of what Romans 1 says, that the only power unto salvation is the message of the gospel, the, the true message of the cross. See, we have to come to a point where our intercession and investment turn to the goal of both of them, which is to share with them the reality of their condition because of sin to share with them the way of salvation provided through Jesus and then invite them to respond to the reality of who God is and the reality of the, of the way of salvation He's provided for us through Jesus Christ. As we think about that tonight, we're going to be looking at this powerful passage in the book of Acts in which Peter just gives us an incredible example of really what this message of the cross is all about what this inviting people into a relationship with him um, really it, it really takes in a person's life. And so why don't we go ahead and, and read these verses again, Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 41. I'm going to go ahead and read it all, and then we're going to ask God's blessing upon our time. Starting in verse 14, it says this, Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days I will pour out my Spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen. And he prearranged, his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him, I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad, and my tongue shouts his praise. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking to the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he has promised, gave him, the Holy, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to lie, my Lord, sit at the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. So much, God, for this time that we have. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for your word and for these accounts that we have of some of our heroes in the faith in the past that have simply done your work through simple obedience and faith, accomplished incredible things. Father God, we know that your gospel is still as powerful today as it ever was because. Holy Spirit, you're as powerful today as you ever were. Let us not lose sight of that, God. Especially as we walk through this, God, I just pray you would give us just a fresh um, set of eyes to look at this message. I pray you would give us ears to hear, Father. I pray, God, that you would reign in our hearts and in our minds, reign in this place where the enemy has no foothold amongst us. Holy Spirit, we're dependent upon you for the message. Speak. 
I don't want my words to come forth, Lord. I want your words to come to your people tonight, so just speak. We submit ourselves to you in this time and ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this passage here in the book of Acts really is um, an incredible passage for, for one big reason I was thinking of this week. And to me, what amazes me so much about this is the one that was speaking, Peter. P- Peter, who just a few short weeks prior to this was the one who had abandoned Jesus at his greatest time of need. Peter, who denied Jesus not only once, not only twice, but three times, took off running when a young child asked him, aren't you one of his followers? And yet, this was Peter speaking with incredible boldness amongst the people. And you can't help but ask yourself, what changed? Why was, he, why was he so bold now when just a few weeks before this, he was running scared? Now, something that should be obvious in the passage is that he has something that he didn't have before, which was that he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. In fact, in context, um, this was during the day of, of Pentecost, this Pentecost celebration where, where pretty much what it was was people came from, from all around to, to celebrate this particular um, thing. And as they were there um, amongst the people, they were um, gathered together in this place. And it talks about earlier in chapter 2 how the, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began to speak. And the amazing thing about this time is that there were people from all over the Roman Empire that were Jewish that had come into Jerusalem for this celebration of Pentecost. And the amazing thing about it was was that all these people heard it in their own language. If you would read up a little further, you can see, I mean, there are people from, from Egypt and Libya and Rome and Arab, I mean, all over the place, and yet they, they heard it in their own language, and, and they heard some things they said right above there that were amazing language, these wonderful things that God has done, and they were just absolutely startled and stunned by what they were hearing, wondering how in the world the, these people knew their language. Some of them just assumed that they must be drunk, um, to which Peter stood out and, and says, no, it's too early in the morning for that. We're certainly not drunk. Why Peter? Why, how did he go from this man that was fearful to this man that boldly stood out? And one obvious thing is that he was empowered by the Spirit of God. He, he boldly stood out. He, he shouted to the crowd in this power. He had a power that it was inside of him that he had never experienced before. He spoke not in his own power, he spoke in the power of God. The words of the living God speaking through him. Can I tell you something? As we think about this message of the gospel that we're called to share, we're thinking about this mission that we've been given to reach people in this world. I will tell you this we cannot do it in our own strength. Our only hope for success is as we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Prior to this moment in Peter's life and the apostles' life, they didn't have what it took. When, when trouble arose, they went running, and yet through this power of the Spirit of God, not their, their, their hearts and their minds or will were surrendered to Him, the Spirit of God took over and they began to speak, and powerful things came out. 
Sharing the gospel isn't easy. Reaching people with this message of Christ isn't easy. And our only hope of being effective in it is when the Spirit of the living God is speaking through us. When we're submitted to Him. When we're living under His power and under His strength. Which means we have to make sure that we don't quench the Spirit by sinning. One of the quickest ways to to quench the power of the Spirit within us is to have sin in our life. Another way is to to walk in self-reliance rather than dependence upon the Lord. We have to allow the Spirit of the living God to lead us to guide us, to speak through, speak through us. I, I was thinking when, when, when Peter and, and, and the apostles earlier were, were talking to Jesus and, and what are we going to say, Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to say. For, for in the time you need it, the Spirit of God will give you the words to say. One of the greatest fears that Christians have when it comes to this gospel mission is, what if I don't have the words? What if they ask me a question that I don't know? Can I tell you something? That's where faith comes in. Like Peter, we have to depend upon the power of the Spirit of God. Because can I tell you something? The same Spirit that was in him is still in us today. That was one huge thing that was different about Peter. He was empowered with the Spirit of God, but that is not the only thing that was different in Peter's life. Peter had a motivation that he did not have before. Notice that, that Peter was the one, again, who stood out amongst the other apostles. Um, notice how... He became so zealous so quickly. How did he go from this fearful man to this man that was fearless? Again, no doubt the Spirit of God has something to do with it, but that's not all, I don't believe. Um, I don't believe that's the only reason that, that, that Peter was so bold in this moment. I just want to go back in Peter's life just, just a few years. I mean, Peter was a pretty amazing man. Jesus called him and to, to leave his boats, to leave his nets, and he did. He left them there to go follow Jesus. He saw Jesus do incredible things, experienced the power of Jesus himself, experienced what was physically completely impossible as he stepped out of the boat and and walked upon the water. Peter was at the transfiguration of Jesus where he, he saw with his own eyes, he saw Moses and Elijah standing there, heard the very voice of God speak saying, this is my son, listen to him. Now, when Peter was with Jesus, he was bold. In fact, he was so bold that when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane, he pulled out that sword, lopped off that soldier's ear. I mean, he was ready to fight. How was he so bold then and just moments later went running scared? Part of the problem was this. Peter had a view of Jesus like the rest of the Jews. When, when the Messiah came in their mind, they believed that Messiah was going to come and reign then. That he was going to set up his throne and his kingdom right then. Peter and the apostles were convinced that they were going to be Jesus' right-hand, man's then, right-hand man then. And so when they were with him, they saw the power that he had. They saw the incredible things that he did, the authority that he, that he, that he spoke with. How he stood against the, the rulers of the day. So when they were with him, they were bold, but the moment that Jesus allowed himself to be arrested and taken away, he's not the only one that went running, they all did. Except for maybe one, John, who was at the cross. 
See, in this moment of fear, when Peter had this moment of faithlessness where he goes, maybe I was wrong about him. Maybe this isn't the one. Now that all changed a few days later, right? I mean, yeah, Jesus goes to the cross, he's buried, but what happens three days later? The most glorious thing ever. Jesus rises from the dead. Peter goes to the tomb, sees it empty. Jesus comes and appears amongst the, amongst the disciples and he sees him. He gets to speak with his Lord again and something inside of him had to have just awoken going, he is real, he is alive. And yet there was just something in Peter's heart that was still there. Now, if, if you flip back in your Bible to John chapter 21 for a moment, this, you, you can really see what's going on in Peter's life here. I'm not going to read it all, but after Jesus had appeared to the disciples a, a couple of different times, they went back to their boat. Peter left his mission, and he goes back fishing. And, and I, I have no doubt what was going through his mind in those hours as he was fishing and, and nothing was happening. And then this man speaks on the shore and instantly knows it's Jesus. He, he's so zealous, he hops out of the boat, swims to shore, comes there to his Lord, and then this conversation ensues where Jesus tells Peter to, to get some fish so they can make some breakfast. And then in verse 15, it says, After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? Now, was he talking about the fish or was he talking about the disciples that were next to him? I don't know. It doesn't really matter because the point's the same. Do you really love fish so much that you would leave my mission and go back to the boat? I really believe he was probably talking about the other disciples because right before that Friday where Thursday night where Jesus was arrested, Peter was the bold one that says, Lord, these may all forsake you, but I never will. And yet, not once, not twice, but three times, he denies his Lord. So John, or Jesus doesn't just ask him once, he, he asks him again, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? And, and yes, Lord, Peter says, you know that I love you. And he, so he, Jesus says, take care of my sheep. And then the third time he asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he says, Peter was hurt. Something inside of him in that moment, you can see, was just broken. Why? Because in spite of in spite of what he did, Jesus still wanted to use him. Think about that. He denied the Son of God three times. Ran at Jesus' time of greatest need. And he looks Peter straight in the eye and says, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you three times. You, you know that went through his head. I denied him. Three times. And yet Jesus still said, feed my lambs. He says, Peter, I want you to be my mouthpiece to my people. And the next thing we see is Peter standing amongst this crowd of thousands, speaking to the exact same people that just weeks before this were crying, crucify Jesus. 
I mean, Peter was on Rome's FBI's most wanted list. And he stood boldly amongst all the rest and began to proclaim the Lord. Why? Because, friends, that man was a broken man whom Christ had restored, and he saw grace for what it was. He understood that he had received incredible grace, incredible mercy, and he knew that he owed Jesus all. His life didn't matter because honoring Christ, honoring his Lord, was worth far more than saving his life. As we think about just these first couple verses of this this chapter here, uh, we just have to ask, has the gospel impacted our lives? Because I can tell you this, if if it has not impacted us personally, if we've not been broken over our sin, broken over the reality that Jesus went to the cross for us, we will never be obedient in the mission of the gospel. It'll never happen. Because Christ has to be worth more in our lives than everything else for us to be serious about the mission of the gospel. Now, as we think about this, I'm going to move on to Peter's message. The motivation of Peter is just incredibly important as we think about this whole, this whole story here, but I want to move on to the, to the message here. Uh, again, to understand this text, we need to understand that Peter was talking to a group of Jews, again, who were here for this day of Pentecost, which was a feast held 50 days after the Passover, what it was basically celebrated the first fruits of the wheat harvest. And again, as they, as they heard Peter speak, um, they, they heard these incredible things, wanting to know what was going on. And so what we see Peter say is this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming 9 o'clock in the morning is much too early. He says, no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And this, this passage that he speaks here is a prophecy from the Old Testament declaring a time of the judgment of God. When, when the judgment and wrath of God eventually is going to come upon this earth. It speaks of that, but it also speaks of the reality that, um, that, that, that in this time, from the time that Jesus ascended to heaven until the time that Jesus comes back, what we see here is this, uh, this whole idea of the Spirit coming upon people, sons and daughters prophesying, young men seeing visions, dreaming dreams. He's going to pour out His Spirit upon all people. That's still today. Do you realize that? What, what those people saw, what those people were experiencing these incredible things we see and read in the Bible and the New Testament, we're still in those last days, friends. Because when Joel speaks of this passage, Peter says this has started now, and yet when we read verses 20 and 21, that's talking about something that hasn't even happened yet. So we're still in the last days, and, and Peter's point here is, is simply, listen, friends, the wrath of God is coming. And what you're seeing is is God's grace to you because you're hearing a message that can get you out of this wrath that is coming. See, most Jews believe that God would someday bring his wrath upon the world, but not against them. They, They thought that God was going to wreak his vengeance on the pagan Gentile world, but few of them considered that his judgment was coming against them. And people still have that view today. 
Many Jews do, but I'm, I'm talking about people in general. People in general have this view. Many of them doubt this idea that there even is a God, doubt this idea that the wrath of God is, ever, is even a thing, and yet the Bible is very, very clear that this is a reality. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 12 through 17, this, this listen how strikingly similar this is to what is spoken here from the prophet Joel in Acts chapter 2. He says, I washed as the lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth, and the moon became red as blood. Stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll. All the mountains and islands were moved away from their places. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, every slave and free person all hid themselves in the cave among the rocks and the mountains. They cried to the mountain to f- and the rocks to fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to survive. This is, the, this is what Peter started with. He started with the reality of the coming judgment of God. Can I tell you something? This has to be part of our message when we're out telling people about Christ. People need to understand that this world is not going to keep going on like it is. That there is coming a day when Christ returns and any of those people who are separated from Christ are going to be the ones receiving this wrath. The only people that get to escape it are the ones, he says there in verse 21, those who call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Friends, if people don't understand what's at stake why would they be in a place where they see their need for a Savior? So often the message of the day, when it comes to the gospel and people, it's all about this ushy-gushy Jesus stuff. Come experience all the good things. Experience the good life. And it's true, He gives us a far better life, a far better existence, even amongst troubles. But friends, people need to understand that judgment is coming. They need to realize and understand that there's going to be a day that Jesus is coming back and he's not coming back as a lamb to the slaughter. He's coming back as a lion ready to devour. That's the way the Bible describes him. People need to hear this. They need to understand this. So Peter spoke of the reality of the coming judgment, but he also spoke of the reality of Jesus you know, one thing that, that, that Jesus had even had a hard time getting across to the people was, was who he was. And, and yet, in verse 22, Peter reminds the people that Jesus in his life proved who he was. He says, people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. I mean, these people knew who Jesus was. Anybody in the Roman world knew who Jesus was by this point. I mean, you have a guy that has power over demons, who has the power to speak and blind people see, lame people walk, people with leprosy are healed instantaneously. I mean, the same Jesus who had the power over nature, who took a few fish and feeds thousands, who can speak to the wind and the waves and just say stop, and it's as still as can be. I mean, Jesus, Jesus was the one who had the power to forgive sins. You remember the story of the paralytic being dropped down from the roof? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. The, the, the Pharisees that were there, how, how can you do it? Only God has the power to forgive sins. And what did he say? So you, that you will know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. He says, son, pick up your mat, walk, and go home. 
He had the power to do even that. He had the power over Satan. He had the power over even death. He called Lazarus out of the tomb after four days, and if that wasn't enough, he walked out of his tomb after three. Jesus proved who he was. And, and this message is so important for us to get across when it comes to our sharing of the gospel is we're not talking about just some ordinary man that lived. We're talking about God in the flesh who came to the earth to die. Jesus who was powerful. Look at verse 23. Peter told these people that, that Jesus provided the needed atonement through his death to forgive sins. If you look at verse 23, he says, but God knew what would happen, and he prearranged plan was to carry out was carried out when Jesus would be betrayed. With the help of these lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to the cross and, and killed him. Jewish people were very aware of the sacrificial system, their need for forgiveness, but they didn't comprehend that those sacrifices of bulls and goats could never take away their sins. So Peter began to tell them that God had provided a greater sacrifice. That it was God's plan to send Jesus to provide the ultimate sacrifice that would take away their sins once and for all. I wasn't there, but I wonder if Peter maybe spoke what was in Isaiah 53. In verses 8 through 10 where it says, Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion to my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life was made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and it was the Lord's good plan and will prosper in his hands. I mean, it, he says here that it was the Lord's good plan. It was God's plan to do that. Peter stood and told these people, do you understand that when Jesus went to that cross, that was God's plan of salvation for you? Look what God gave up. Look at the gift that he gave you people. He gave you his one and only son. You look at verse 24. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. You know, it was Jesus who said when he was going to die that he was going to be raised to death again on the third day. In Mark 9, 31, he told his disciples the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He'll be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. And th these people, many of them would have known it. The Bible says that, that Jesus was seen by over 400 people in those 40 days or so that he was alive. There was proof. I mean, there was so much proof that the, the chief priest paid off soldiers to cover it up. Jesus proved who he was. And in verses 25 through 31, Peter began to show that, that Jesus wasn't some new idea. In fact, Jesus was the theme even of the Old Testament really of all of Scripture, that all the Old Testament's all they had at the time, but in verses 25 through 28, he was speaking of what King David was writing years and years before this, and yet he says it's impossible for David to have been speaking of himself. David's dead. His bones are right here in Jerusalem. You know where the tomb is, and yet Jesus is alive. He says these Old Testament writings, even of your, your hero, the, one of the greatest heroes of the Jewish faith was David. He said David was speaking of Jesus. Now, you get down to verses 32 through 35, Peter told them clearly that Jesus is not only Lord and King, 
that he's the Son of God. It's just a powerful thing here. He says, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we're all witnesses of this. He says, now he's exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, um, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us, just as you've seen here today. He says, for David said himself never... So, for David himself never ascended into heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, who is that speaking of? That's speaking of the, the book of Psalm, where David wrote this, and in the original it says, Yahweh said to my Lord, as in God in heaven, Jehovah God, the highest God of heaven, said to my Lord, sit on my place of honor, and you, Peter's saying, don't you realize that David was speaking of Jesus? All of these Old Testament quotes, our Old Testament to them, I mean, all these things, it all pointed to Christ. What I love about the, what Peter was doing here is he was meeting these people right where they were at. These people who knew the old, the, what we know as the Old Testament. They knew the law. They knew the stories of David. They knew the stories of Moses. They knew all these things. And Peter began to point these things out and says, you want to know who they were talking about? They were talking about Jesus. But now we get to verse 36. And just listen to his words. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. He looked at these people in the eyes and said, you all just murdered the Son of God. Can you imagine what that had to have done to them in that moment? When the light bulb came on and, and they realized that they had a part in sending Christ to the cross to experience the most gruesome death ever devised by man? Now, Notice the reaction of the people in verse 37. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and the other disciples, Brothers, what should we do? Do you see the picture here? P Peter sets this message before them. Did you notice Peter's message wasn't just this whole thing about this ushy-gushy Jesus and this little story about, yep, Jesus went to the cross, died for his sins, we need to be saved. It's simple, right? But no, he said it, but he said it in a totally different way. He made these people understand clearly, judgment is coming, Jesus is who he claimed to be, and you killed him. And these people in that moment, the light bulb came on and they began to plead with Peter and the disciples, what must we do? Friends, what is our message about God? What is our message about Jesus? When we share Jesus, do, we, do, do people know why they need him? Again, so often when we speak, we, we say stuff like, well, we all messed up. You know, we've, we all have faults. None of us are perfect. We all have some not-so-nice parts of our pasts. I mean, those things are all true, but can I tell you something? We sugarcoat it way too much. 
How about we speak like this? We have sinned against Almighty God. We put Jesus on the cross. We are the ones that might as well have had the hammer in our hands, nailing Jesus' feet, nailing his hands to the cross. It might as well have been us because he was there because of me. It was, it was my sin that put him there. It was your sin that put him there. Do you realize what you have done? Friends, if we would give that type of message to people, I believe with all my heart that there may be a reaction like these people. If this is true, if Jesus is real, if judgment is coming, if it's my sin to put him on that cross, what must I do to be saved? Because I don't want to experience the wrath of God. Friends, we need to give people the right message. See, if it's true that we've sinned against Almighty God, if it's true that we've put Christ on the cross, if it's true that, that Jesus died this gruesome death because of us, if that's true, what do we deserve? The answer says, the answer, the Bible tells us, is eternal hell. We rightfully deserve judgment forever and ever and ever. Friends, people need to understand the gravity of their situation. As ten, Hebrews 10.31 says, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But from that, we see what Peter's invitation is. And his invitation is as bold as his message was. As you get down here, let's look how he responds Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in Jesus' name for the forgiveness of your sins. See, when we think about this invite part of the series, what we're trying to help people understand is that we're not inviting them simply to a more favorable option. We're inviting them into the only option that will not require the destruction of their soul. There's only one way out. Only one way out of God's wrath. Only one way out of hell. And it comes through what Peter says here. It, it requires repentance of sin. This idea that it's a change of mind that results in a change of action. Can I tell you something? Anybody that prays some cutesy prayer and goes on living their life like they belong the devil, to the devil, that prayer did nothing. Salvation doesn't come by just some simple little cutesy prayer. Peter says here, the first thing he says is you need to repent of your ways and turn from your sin and turn to God. Friends, the, the, the invitation, a proper biblical invitation, when we speak to people, we need to, we, they have to understand you cannot go living in sin and come to Jesus. It don't work that way. Jesus isn't just some fire insurance that you get. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. It may be some prayer, but it's a prayer that was not prayed in true faith because a prayer of that true faith will result in a changed life. So he says here that they need to repent of their sin and turn to God. The idea here is turning to God for mercy. It's the idea of pleading with God to forgive you of your sins. 
It's this person coming to this point where they recognize that they have no other option but to lean upon the grace and mercy of God. They have no other way of salvation than to throw themselves at the feet of the Lord and say, forgive me. See, if people don't grasp the gravity of their sin, why would they repent of it? People need to understand that they have sinned against the living God, the righteous one, the sovereign of the entire universe. They have sinned against Him. They deserve eternal damnation. And their proper response is to say, I am no longer going my way. Jesus, save me. Friends, that's true salvation, and that's where true transformation is going to take place in a person's life. And then he says, confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Then he says to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Do you realize what he was saying? He was telling these people that there's only one king, only one Lord, and his name is Jesus. And see, this doesn't mean as much to us today as it did back then, because for them to say Jesus is Lord was to say that Caesar was not. And many of them were murdered. Thousands of them, hundreds of thousands of murdered because of their profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, that's what salvation is. It's saying that, Jesus, you're my king. You're the one in charge. You're the one I'm now living for through your power, through your strength. Save me, and I'm holding on to you for dear life. Friends, that's salvation. And that's the message we need to be preaching to people. But the last thing he says here is receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, that's where all the benefits come from. Like, that's like where all the good stuff comes from. That's where we receive His comfort through the Spirit, His wisdom through the Spirit, His power through the Spirit, His compassion through the Spirit, His joys through the Spirit. Those are all byproducts of our salvation. See, when, when we come to faith in Jesus, the right response is we come in reverence and fear of a holy God that we've sinned against, and we cling to Him for mercy, but in spite of all that, he doesn't treat us as second-hand citizens. He says, no, not only do I forgive you, I'm going to make you mine. I'm going to call you my child. I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to live within you, and now you're going to experience all the greatness of being a child of the living God. See, that's the end of what he said. Friends, we need the right message. As we look at verse 40, I'm almost done. Peter continued preaching a long time. Strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. Can I tell you something? Not everybody's going to come to faith in Christ on the first try. Or the second, or the third, or the tenth. It takes time. And we got to keep on interceding. Keep on investing. Keep on inviting Because look at the result in verse 41. Because Peter kept on preaching, 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus. Friends, what could we do? What could we do with just this group if we got serious about what Peter did here? If, even if it was just all of us reaching one person, sharing our lives with them and sharing the truth of the gospel with them, what could take place 
in this church, in our community, if we would do this. Friends, I believe a great awakening could take place. Friends, we are the, we are the only thing standing between people who are unsaved and hell. We're the, only ones, we're the only thing standing in their way. It's our job, our mission, our responsibility to share Jesus with them. Let's take it seriously. Let's invest in their lives. Let's pray for them. Let's invite them to faith in Christ. Let's see what God does. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time, Lord, of... This is time in your word, Lord. I'm thankful for, for your message. You got to know it challenged my heart this week. God, the truth of it is, Father, there's probably none of us in here that are as devoted to you as we should be, as devoted to this mission as we should be. Father, and for that, Lord, I ask for your forgiveness. I ask, Lord, that you would awaken our souls. Father God, awaken us to the reality that there are people all around us dying on their way to hell. God, break our hearts for them. God, help us to see souls like you do. Help us, dear God, to be able to get, get over the busyness of our life, the distractions of our life, Father, that, that pull us from this mission and, and instead prioritize you. Father God, we need you. We can't do it in our own power. We're dependent upon your strength. Use us for your glory. Use us, God, to build your kingdom. Embolden us as Peter was bold. Empower us as the Spirit of God empowered him. Empower us, Lord. Let us speak truth. Father, we need you, and as we do, I just pray that you just move and move mightily. Move in us, move in our church, move in our communities. God, I pray for an awakening in this area of the world, Lord God, and I pray that it would start right here with us and spread out. Holy Spirit, move amongst us, move in our community, God. Help us to reach Him, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, we close. We're going to stand.